Welcome to the Unstructured Podcast. In this episode, I talk with creative director and graphic artist Allison Ross, founder and janitor at Yesterday.RIP. Allison's passion for good people, social purpose, and creativity with a healthy dose of humor has led her to work with some of the top design firms and cutting edge brands in the industry. We'll dig into the career path that led her to run her own business, what she learned about remaining true to herself, and the importance of going above and beyond the call of duty. I'm Michelle Rose, and this is Unstructured. This episode was brought to you by Structure Society, the community for creators in art, design, and music. For almost a decade, Structure has brought together creatives from across the industrial, apparel, graphic, and sound design industries, building professional relationships, creating a platform for knowledge sharing, and raising the bar of product creation. From live events and workshops to publication and podcasting, Structure continues to evolve to build the strong creator community needed to craft our future. Find us at struktursociety.com and subscribe to our Substack at structuresociety.substack.com. I want to jump right in and talk about creativity. Okay. I want to talk about your creative North Star. I mean, I'm going to go right to it. Like, what is the most important thing to you when it comes to being creative, to designing, to doing artwork? I don't know if there's one thing for all of those, but as a professional designer, is there one thing that you hold dear, adhere to as that piece that you always must have or follow? Yeah, there's probably a couple of things. Like, definitely... Process-wise, I learned early in my career, it's brief idea design. Don't start decorating shit until you have a solid idea, and that idea needs to be relevant to culture. It needs to be backed by insights, it, like that kind of stuff. So I think I, maybe having a plan, and that's specifically for a design. I, won't, I would say like if I'm screen printing or painting or something like that, that's my time to just like make a mess and try new things without any rationale behind it. But I think for design, that's probably... For professional work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And is there something that when you're looking or you're looking at a project or a brief or deciding a project to take, is there something that is a defining factor of taking it or not taking it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like in the last... this current or chapter of my career or like for the last couple of years uh the importance of them there being like um <clears throat> there being something that's like trying to make the world a little bit better something that's healthy um you know I early in my career did a lot of like youth culture stuff and like sports and that's that's all great and good for humans to do but I think you know, working on, working with people who are really trying to make the world better Mm -hmm. and actually working with people that I genuinely enjoy spending time with. That's like probably the biggest barrier of if I don't 
know you or if I know you're a jerk, I probably don't want to work with you. And yeah, so I always prioritize just people who going into working with me understand the value that I bring and understand my approach to design and that they value that. And how much would you say when evaluating a project, how much of it is the actual project and how much of it is the people? It's more the people, for (laughs) sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. And why is that? Because working with shitty people sucks ass. (laughs) It's like, oh, lots of swear words, by the way. You can swear. Okay, great. You can swear all you want. Okay. Yeah. Definitely the people. It has to be the people. I mean, last year I took on a project with an old, like very dear mentor from like, like years and years and years ago, because one of our clients that we used to jam on back in the day came back for and was working at a different band brand. And, uh, yeah, he was like, you want to get the band back together? I'm like, hell yeah. And it was so much fun. Yeah, it was great. So good people for sure. I want to talk about the world of design and what's going on in it right now from your perspective as a, as a designer, as a creative professional. What's wrong with it? What's right with it? What's happening that is good and what is not happening enough Hmm. in the world of design that you work in, that you touch? Yeah, there's there's a lot of factors to that, obviously, just the the state of the economy right now. I feel like a lot of people I know, every time you you go online and see like someone else is now looking for a new role, so just a lot of empathy for what's happening out there. Like a lot of really talented, smart people are getting let go, so that's tough um in the world of design I think uh what's good and bad I don't know like I think people I feel like like brands standing up for more than just selling stuff is super important so just finding something that they can do to not just take from the world but like give a little bit that's just that's table stakes now. Like mm-hmm. the like, every brand has to do that. So the ones that are doing it well, that's really great in design. The ones not so much, they you know, they're in the process of trying to catch up. So that's interesting. The world of design, I think, um, this was something that actually came up in a conversation with another person a few weeks ago, of asking about you know, should people be working independently or should they be working in-house or should they be working agency side and something, I don't want to poo-poo on any agencies, but there, there's some that are like, they're big, they're a little bit slow. Like the world is just moving so much quicker. Just the speed that everything's moving at and making sure you embrace it, right? Um, so yeah, having to be more flexible and fast, um, fast can be good because people today, um, are, they forgive brands more easily. 
than they did in the past. Similar to if you see something on social, oh, that's cool. Okay, bye. I'll never think about it again. So yeah, for brands to be brave and bold because I think the world or consumers are a bit more forgiving than they've been in the past. Now you work, you know, because as a you know, creative director, graphic designer, artist, you know, you're working with messages, you know, you're working with images and messages and ideas. Whereas I'm coming from apparel design and product design, which has had a big shift in terms of, you know, sustainability and um, making things that can, you know, last longer, fewer, better things. Um, how would, would you say that is different for the world of graphics? Because it feels like that's where the messages have to move quickly mm-hmm. and be more <sighs> authentic for lack of a better word, you know, like really true. Like, and what, what, what would be a better word to use? Uh, I mean, brands need to have constant communication with their audiences for feedback, for, you know, prompts, anything like that. I wonder if I would qualify like a product as that like love reminder of the brand of like, oh yeah, love this backpack you know um yeah and and again I think brands need to yeah they need to be in constant communication Mm -hmm. with the world and how do they do that how do you do that (laughs) (laughs) being working with different brands you know how how can brands do that um in this environment now where social media is really important, but it's also, it has trust issues and people have a love-hate relationship with it. How do you stay in contact? Uh, I think content-wise, just be innovative, be new, be current, be relevant in culture, um, bring interesting sometimes uncomfortable conversations like things like that um (laughs) I think like physically how they do it well there's you know a bunch of different media outlets that that you know we designed to and we're able to use yeah I think in some ways I feel like I'm asking that question more out of um ignorance of you know not being in the world of graphic design and, and and marketing and creative direction in that sense and feeling, a, you know, as a, as a product designer, feeling that distance from the end user, um, working with big companies, it, it can happen very easily that you don't have that contact at all. Mm. And you do, we, we tended to design in bubbles a lot, you know? Oof. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a lot of it's just me asking, oh, what is that like? You know, how, how do you do that? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, a brand hopefully has a solid strategy behind it that informs how you talk, how you design product, how you show up, what kind of, you know, flavor you are. Yeah. That, that the entire organization, like, embodies and runs with. And, yeah, I think the product itself is, that's like an, it's a beautiful artifact of the brand. It's awesome. It's great. And then communication is more the 
again, the, the stories and to keep you engaged and to keep growing together. That requires, I don't have a question around that, but I find it intriguing that um, it requires brands to have such a deeper meaning than we're really used to thinking of brands having. And that seems to be the challenge. How do you be relevant when, you know, really you're just selling gear or you're selling products or you're selling things or the ideas of things, um, how to get to what's real, you know, and, and what, what we're really meaning. I was thinking about um, when I was working with the North Face and um, we all went on a team trip. And we had a, a, a several new people on our team as a design and, and marketing teams. And as we were sitting there around a fire with the athletes, and I remember one of the team uh, in the marketing department asked Conrad Anker, you know, about, um, wanted to ask him about his opinion about, you know, the, the product. And I remember him starting to say, Something like, um, you know, you're sitting here with all of these designers who create this product that helps save lives. And he didn't finish his sentence before Conrad came in and cut him off and said, well, wait, wait, wait let me make something clear. Um, because we were all apparel designers and he was in, out in outerwear and he said, you know, the apparel and the outerwear, it's nice. It helps you be comfortable. It's important, but it doesn't save lives. Let's be honest here. He said the gear saves lives. And it was a, a moment of realizing um, that self-importance that we can place on something when we're in a brand, when we think this is really, we do this really important thing and we get kind of big on ourselves and to have somebody like that say, no, it's, no, it's not, you know, it's like, you don't need this fancy stuff to do this and, and let's put it in the right order. Um, and that's what made me think about that, you know, is, is how we can lose sight of what we're doing inside these companies as design. Uh, it's interesting. I literally yesterday just kicked off a project with a, like a technical backpack startup mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, one of the founders is like, at the end of the day, it's just a fucking backpack. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so I think that's a very yeah. product designer point of view that seems to be coming up quite a bit. But I think, yeah, it's just a backpack or it's just a, a jacket. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to, do you want people to care about it or no? Because you kind of sound like you don't. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. So what would you say? That I think when people spend money, hard earned money on any kind of product, I think, well, you know, maybe not a toothbrush or something, but, you know, some, something like an invest, something that's an investment, you know, you want to feel like, um, yes, it's giving you something very rational, but if it also helps kind of give your identity a, a bit more 
you know, oh, I feel part of this kind of group of people. I feel like I'm like a, you know, I can identify as a hiker now because yeah. I finally, you know, saved up the right amount of money to get this backpack or I don't know, for it to make you feel a little something more than the rational, I think is really important mm -hmm. to get mm -hmm. people to choose your jacket over someone else's. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, like yeah. we were saying before, the sustainability, that's, that's also becoming a huge priority. Right. right. So I could list like a bunch of things that would be, again, you know, version one where it's, it's just a fucking backpack or version two, da, 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 it does all these things. Yeah. So that story I think is, yeah, that's super important. What is something you would never do again? A project that you've worked on or a design, you know, something in your career that just, just that piece without digging too heavily into it of, you know, where you're like, yeah, I don't ever want to work on that thing again, that type of thing. I'm going to take your question and twist it okay. a bit because I feel like everything that I've worked on thankfully has led to, oh yeah, baby, let's do more of that. Or like, no, no, okay, one and done, we're good. But something that I would never, ever do again is um, go to an interview at, a, at like a job or something and not be turned up to 11. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was a huge, huge mistake for me. Ah. Why were you not turned up that time, do you think? I I feel like I'm trying to remember in 20 gosh, in 2015, 15, 16, I went to a interview at a athletic brand in Portland, Oregon. And didn't I I didn't even understand what the job description was. I don't think the recruiter really did. I was like, I don't think I'm qualified for no, no, no. They want someone who's whatever. And I wasn't necessarily in a position where I was like, I really need to get this. So I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm gonna go in and just be. I would be willing to come into this place every day if they let me act this way. So I like. I didn't bring a presentation to click through. I like ruined their conference room. I nailed a giant 10 foot canvas tarp and painted my presentation. It was like crazy. It wow. Was, wow. Yeah. And yeah, they were like kind of freaked out while I was doing mm. it, but they did call back after and I had taken on a different role, but like that's probably the only interview I went to that I was, that I treated the same way that I treat other aspects of my life. Um, and, and I remember it, and I love remembering it, and I'm so proud of myself for doing that at that place. And then, uh, you know, uh, the last interview I went on that led to a, a job offer, I, like, they reached out to me, and I even, you know, emailed back. I'm like, okay, what kind of interview are we talking to? Can I, like, come and destroy a conference room? And they're like, no, 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 just bring a PDF. And I was like, okay, whatever. Bad mistake. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah you should have just shown up with it uh-huh I should have destroyed their conference room <laughs> I love that yeah I love that 
I love that. And because that, that starts to speak into what we'll talk about more in the interview as well, is that we talk, you were that, that you mentioned the other day of like, um, going all in. Mm -hmm. That's what I was going to say. I was reflecting on that a little earlier today is that not everyone should go to 11 and destroy conference rooms or anything. Right. But if you're like, quiet and detail oriented be that Mm -hmm. you know if you're like a wacko be that you're talking about turning it up to 11 of yourself personally because that's my happy place if somebody is is super quiet or or has a certain way about them that is not flamboyant or loud or crazy or whatnot (laughs) um be yourself yeah just be fully steeped in who you are yeah how do you know who you are? How do you know that piece about yourself and maintain that? How have you done that? That'll dig us into your past. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you do that now? And then we'll dig into kind of maybe how you got there. Yeah. Um, trying everything mm-hmm. and whatever brings like the most joy and happiness. And I mean, if we're speaking about work in particular, you know, I've I've had really great mentors who, you know, inspired my sometimes dog and pony approach. I've had mentors who were so thoughtful and empathetic and like I feel like gave me a psychology master's degree. Um, so I think it's basically by being curious, of course, but observing everyone all the time and anything that's good you take that and put that in your pocket and anything that's not good that's okay you just leave it leave it on the table and if you're lucky enough to just meet as many people as possible there's always some kind of learning that I think can come from that so take all the good and just leave behind the the less good why do you do design? How did you get here? Hmm. How did you start? How did you become a designer? That's also a funny, uh, interesting question. When I was in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to be and uh, knew I was going to go to college and saw there was an illustration program. I'm like, oh, I'm super hardy. I love illustration. I'm going to do that. And my dad was like, Mm, computers are the future. This is how old I am. And he was like, I think you should go into graphic design. You'll you'll still get to draw stuff. I'm like, and has you done anything like this before that? He I think he was picking up on the fact too that, you know, I used to make mixtapes, but I would spend more time doing the sleeve art for it <laughs> than I would putting together the tape. Mm-hmm. So oh. I think there was I oh, and I remember when I was really little, uh, with my cousins we had like a little tape recorder and I was constantly like making up funny commercials like probably inspired by Saturday Night Live or something Mm -hmm. but I mean like young I think I was like eight years old or something so and you'd record them on the record them like make (laughs) up some some silly product you know probably meant for the the washroom or something like something about poop but uh so yeah I don't know I feel like I'm grateful that my dad identified that and 
kind of helped steer me. But yeah, I think there was just always something about, you know, doing funny things or just making up stories. And, and what would you do with the mixtapes? Because, you know, we, we come from that mixtape age, right? Yeah. Like, but I mean, like, would you draw? Would you collage? What would you do to make the sleeve? Oh, I remember I would, I used to like, I think one of my aunts used to get like more fashion-y magazines and I, she would give them to me after. Another aunt gave us like a bunch of old National Geographics and stuff. Mm-hmm. So definitely collage and you know, kind of ransom letter style typography. So did you save any of them? Oh, I'm sure there's probably something in a box <laughs> at home. Yeah. Hang on to that. Yeah. We'd always think about the mixtapes, um, you know, they would always break. And so we'd have to, you know, the tape would break. Oh. And so we pry ours apart you know, make, uh, re, re-tape the tape back together, glue the tape back. So, that, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of the mixed tapes were just really, you know, jerry-rigged and, and yeah. broken and stuff. And so I don't even think that we – I don't remember making any artwork on the covers of the tapes except for when I was making them for my friends' bands. Mm-hmm. You know, like it had a purpose, but yeah. I didn't do any of that for myself. That was, like, the best part. Yeah, yeah. I loved doing that. Remember when you would, like, take, like, one of your parents – awful like simply red tape and then you like put scotch tape on the bottom so you could record over it yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah mixed, that was part of it yeah mixtape pack yeah <laughs> uh, yeah yeah um but where did you grow up drawing at all or is yeah it, okay yeah definitely my mom was um uh did oil painting like very artistic and my dad very artistic musically so uh definitely very lucky to have had a lot of creativity at home. But yeah, I can't remember not painting or drawing. That was like definitely art kid for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the mixtapes led to computers. You should do graphic design versus illustration. Were they seen as at that time different? Like graphic design was its field. Illustration was its own field. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the the illustration program was even borderline geared towards like, you know, industrial design Mm -hmm. and um, a little bit of that and like editorial illustration. And yeah, graphic design was definitely more communication and then just the, you know, the tools that a designer has of understanding typography and art direction and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So then why did you want, did you just, why did you want to do illustration then? Because I, I didn't even know what graphic design was. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. so your dad let you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Right. I mean, this is pre-internet, by the way. I'm not like some <laughs> ding-dong. <laughs> um, well, maybe. No, I, t- I kind of am. I think we have to remember that the audience may be younger. Because I same thing, like when it comes to graphic design, like I, I like to talk to some of the old fogies, like not like me, but like me. Um you know, when I learned graphic design, it was all, you know, PMT machines, halftones and waxing the back of things and laying it all out physically. It was pre-computer. Yeah. My, the year that I got in to college uh, was like, we were the first cohort that had computers. So yeah, probably, probably not too many years after you. Yeah, we're not that far apart. No. So then you went to school for graphic design. Yeah, I yeah. did a, a three-year 
um, well, I did a year of fine arts first because I did not get into graphic design the first time I applied because Mm -hmm. I was a class clown, terrible high school student and, um, just like goofed off too much. So the first year I did fine arts just to build up a portfolio. And then I did three years of graphic design and loved it. And then I, before moving to the U.S., I did another degree in graphic design. So the first one was like, because we were all like, what's a computer? You know, no, yeah. we, we knew what computers were, but um, it, it was a, a, a bit more technical. I would say that first degree that I got and the second one was 100% like conceptual. So I'm picturing Zoolander. Yeah. The files are in the computer. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, yeah. 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 So then you got the second degree mm-hmm. because you wanted to learn more. Right? Why did you do it? I got it. <laughs> oh, boy. This is so good. Um, when I graduated, it was 2001. And then the world got hit. Well, New York got hit physically with some things. But like, uh, you know, 9-11 happened and the job market was just terrible in even in Montreal which is where I grew up um so I was able to get a job at a pharmaceutical company converting all of their old school packaging which were only on films to digital so it was basically like a production job so once I was in that for a bit I was like well, I'm grateful to have this job. Very, very grateful. And I learned a ton about packaging. So that's like, I don't regret that time at all. But I was like, this is not what I want to do, though, forever. And I think I need, I just need a little bit more for me at that time. I'm not saying that kids should go and get two degrees or anything like that. And if you do, do it in Canada because it's way cheaper. But um, so, yeah, I just, I knew I needed another push to ensure that I could yeah find myself in the in the type of industry that I really really wanted to be in so while like I worked full-time for full-time working and full-time student at night for and got my degree in design so second degree and that was here in the U.S. nope that was in Montreal that was in Montreal after yeah okay okay yeah got it yeah, around that same time, I was working full-time and doing a second... Well, I was getting my bachelor's in business, uh, and it's really difficult. Well, I was starting my design career, you know, and um, I don't think I had any other life. When you do those two things together, school yeah. and, and work, and you're trying to survive and yeah, and, and whatnot, but it um, uh, ends up being worth it, but yeah, you know, it's a lot of work, so... Definitely. But, and I don't know, I felt like it propelled me to have like a really strong work ethic after that. And knowing like I can do anything. And how did that then that second um, degree, how did that prepare you better? Um, I think before I enter, well, before I graduated one year before graduation, I immediately started making lists and priorities of places I wanted to go work. Mm -hmm. I prepared, like I made these immersive books. I'll I'll show it to you after. Um, 
introducing myself and what I wanted to achieve and like, you know, just what, you know, why I'm even writing to you and um, sent those out. I ended up finding a job in the U.S. three months before graduation. Mm. So just by being really proactive and yeah, I'm like, I just, I can't wait for something to happen. Like I need to make it happen. So yeah. Is that something that the degree program taught you to do? No, I just, I didn't want to, when I graduated from the first degree, I was like, all right, world, here I am. Who wants to give me a job? And it's, that's not how it works. And for the second degree, and that for the second degree in particular, I was like, I just, I've worked my ass off for the last three years supporting myself and going to school. That's, there's no way this has, this can't happen again. Mm -hmm. So I put, yeah, years worth of work ensuring that the beginning of my, I mean, my post pharmaceutical career would be something that, no. (laughs) Post pharmaceutical career. (laughs) (laughs) Your medical. Um, yeah, because I feel like, um, that's just not something people come out of school with. No, 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 no. Is, is this direction of, you know, how you're going to, that, I think that's changing, but it wasn't when we were in school. Well, I actually just came back from Utah and Montreal to go do lectures at universities and colleges to, to tell that story to them. So, yeah. Good, good. Did you? Did you propose that to go there and talk about that, or were you asked to do that? No, I was asked. I actually have it both in Montreal and in Utah friends who are uh, professors. Mm-hmm. So last year, uh, the the friend in Montreal asked, like, can you do, like, some lectures over Zoom? And it was for, like, professional practice to, you know, mm-hmm. kids about – not kids, sorry, students about to – graduate and go out into the world so I put it together then and it was really resonated well so this year went back and did it again in Montreal and then over in Utah too I'm curious what you told them oh gosh I mean that's so much the whole thing but but the main the main points that uh yeah definitely I mean I think the top the top one or two sure 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 yeah I the the premise of it was basically like what the fuck happens after school ends. And it was, you know, the entire lecture is basically things that I wish I would have known before. And I, you know, and the things that I figured out that led to success, but I, I'm just like, look, giving them everything that, that I can think of that could be helpful to them. So, you know, what to think of, long before the interview, during the interview, after the interview, and then just how to be a good human. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing there that I think you're trying to tease out right now is just taking ownership of your own growth mm-hmm. and being proactive, right? So proactive in reaching out to studios a year in advance, but also being proactive on ensuring that you're growing professionally, personally, everything like that. And basically like the idea that, you know, your success is no one's job, but your failure is everybody's problem. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like a pretty big key takeaway, I think, from there. 
This episode was brought to you by the Functional Fabric Fair powered by Performance Days, the premier trade show for performance fabrics and materials. Since 2018, the Functional Fabric Fair has been providing a unique, highly curated trade show experience in the performance materials space, aimed at providing customers with the very best options to create the highest level products in the market. Having a strong focus on education and sustainability, the Functional Fabric Fair is committed to tackling the biggest issues we face today in regards to product manufacturing and our environment. With five shows throughout the year from Portland to New York City to Munich, you're sure to find what you need at the Functional Fabric Fair and Performance Days. And that, I mean, there's that, that, that you know, taking initiative, taking responsibility. But the other piece that, um, that I always look for is... Uh, what did I not know, you know, um, because I always felt like, um, there wasn't an exposure to certain things. I mean, a lot of it just is about hearing other people's experiences. And so hearing from you and others who can come and say, here's what I did. Here's what I experienced. Here's what's out there. I mean, it, it even come, come down to, I didn't know that we can, there was a field called graphic design. And so some of it is just that exposure. And I wonder why that's missing in the schools. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, some feedback that I got from the lecture I did in Montreal was um, from the head of the design department who was like, I've been here for 20 years and that was like the best presentation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because like, I don't know. The students probably thought I was the same age as them and, but, and I'm goofy and I swear. And I was just like, you know, this is going to take, this is going to take an hour of your time. You got to pay attention. I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you, you know, like, and, um, compared to, I think sometimes other speakers kind of go in there and they're a little bit more like, well, this is, you know, what I do and here's my portfolio. And so I didn't, I'm like, you don't need to know anything about like about that from me. This is what you need to know. So it just might be, I don't know. I even think of structure and, you know, how we're, you know, when thinking about the mission of, you know, creativity, shared momentum, gain this like share, 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 give, 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 I think is uh, something the world could use a lot more of. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's hard. Um, one of my favorite things about your website. <laughs> is oh, God. That needs to be updated. Do not go visit it. But I love your tagline, mm. you know. And I know I'm going to – I don't have it written down, I think. Um, what? I, I don't let – Friends, yeah. Friends don't let friends create boring, meaningless shit. I love that. Yeah. But I'd like to hear a little bit about you creating that and what – meaningless shit it's mm -hmm. yeah definitely it was uh when I was about to go uh independent in design uh, again a very good mentor of mine was like you need to do that brand strategy shit on yourself like you need to have like a value proposition or you know just you know what makes working with you different than working with you know Sally down the street or something and 
So that sentence has who I want to work with, how I work, and the kind of work that I want to do in just one sentence. So like I said earlier, friends don't let friends. That means if we're going to work together, we're going to be friends, basically, for, if we're not already. Or we need to be friends to work together. Um, don't create boring. Yeah, I don't like doing boring shit. So that's just like... If even you think what you want me to do is kind of boring, you're probably not coming to the right person. Or if it is boring, I'm going to make it not boring. And if you're not comfortable with that, then we probably shouldn't work together. And then um, meaningless shit, I think, you know, again, a lot of the work that I do now is for nonprofits social impact like fucking you know gun violence prevention and don't you know overfish the sea like the oceans um so just things that are you know using communication not always necessarily to sell things but to change things Mm -hmm. and I mean for four years I'd been working with the ASPCA Mm -hmm. on a project for uh, law reform which some people might be like, but Allison, that's not like Burton Snowboards. Isn't that boring? It's like, no, they're good people. And the, and the it's not meaningless shit, which is great. Yeah, it fits. It, yeah, yeah, it totally fits. And then uh, late last year, the law passed. You can't buy a cat, dog, or rabbit in uh, New York State. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's not everywhere. Oh, that's So we got some more states to tackle, but... You know, just, yeah, doing some, you know, doing work sometimes for products, of course, you know, because like I said before, the startup that I'm working with, that's great. But, you know, just a good mix of helping lawyers do and communicate to get an entire population to rally behind changing laws. That's fucking cool. I think that's awesome. Well, and that's where some people might say, well, like you said, oh, that's boring. What's boring? Well, you're talking about what's what's boring to you. What's, Mm. you know what I mean? Changing culture is not boring. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. Cooler than than selling toothbrushes. Yeah. (laughs) But if you had to do something for toothbrushes, you would find. Yeah, it'd be great. (laughs) You'd find something. Totally. Hit me up, Colgate. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that, um, but that's also a mindset. Mm-hmm. That's a, a social mindset that you have mm-hmm. of how to exist in the world and what's kind of what's right and wrong and, and what feels like the right thing to do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, how do you find these projects or how do they find you? Oh, that's, I, I'm so, so lucky to have such an incredible network of you know, old colleagues who, you know, if they come across something, they're like, you know, who would be perfect on that, Allison, who share their networks with me. I think also throughout my entire career, post-pharmaceutical, even, but those, maybe then too. No, I just try when I do work to bring my full self, I want to be the best part of my client's and my friend's day. Um, and I work really hard and really thoughtfully in that reputation. I'm just lucky it's followed me. So, you know, I have 
people I've worked with that even if I changed who I was working for, um, followed. So yeah, it's good. I, ha I have some, some people that like my approach, so it's good. So that's the being true to yourself, mm -hmm. putting out, you know, turning it up to 11 so people can see it yeah. and it's very clear. And so people know who you are. Mm -hmm. And that's how then that word of mouth happens. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, just, again, people that I've worked with that I, I'm like, oh, man, they were cool. That was fun. Mm -hmm. When the project's over, I don't just, like, peace out. Like, I check in on people Absolutely. a lot, you know, yeah. and and not for money reasons, just more like, what are you doing that's cool? Or, like, how are you? Or, you know a very distinct voice of being direct and to the point and you use a disarming balance of making people feel important and uncomfortable at the same time are you aware of this mm, some of it some of it I think the direct and to the point yes definitely um the making people feel important, that's wonderful. That's lovely to hear. And uh, making people uncomfortable. I know I make people uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully in a, in a good way, not, not in a threatening way. I think so. You know, <laughs> and I think I'll bring it back to the example of, um, you know, the first time we met when you came to speak at the first structure. I tell this story to people a lot, and I'm not going to tell it very good here, um, because I usually take a little time of, of saying that. But I really like it because you start off the talk. I don't even remember exactly how you start it, but just, a, you know, a simple one or two words on the screen. You know, I'm Allison, and, and you were talking about... Um, you know, what you do to prepare to give a talk and um, something to the effect of what's one of the first things we all do when we're getting ready to give a talk is, and the screen comes up with one word that says diarrhea. <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> and then you say, I got the first one out of the way this morning, which was that. And, um, you know, it just, it disarms people. And that's something that is like, whoa, wow, she, this woman up on, on stage that we wouldn't expect this to come out of her mouth, um, put that on the screen and said that. And to me, it doesn't seem shocking anymore. But at that time, it was like, oh, yeah, people don't really do this. And is that okay? Yeah, I think it is. And... It's shocking and disarming, and, but what it does is seems to give people permission to be okay with the weird, uncomfortable things. Like, wow, I might have diarrhea. Oh, yeah, I just, I, you know, I made a mistake here. I made a mistake there. It's like, it's okay, to, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be normal and to be a human being. Yeah. I, uh, I like that diarrhea has made it. <laughs> Into this experience as well. I did not have any this morning. <laughs> no, that would be my department today. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I remember, so doing that talk at Structure, I was the creative director at Now at the time. I think the founder, Mark, had done 
previous structures and now that they had their first you know our newest creative director he was like you're doing it and I was like oh god and I had never spoken in front of a crowd at that not that size anyway at that point and I was like I'm gonna go do my thing and make Mark and Michelle never ask me to do this again so (laughs) uh, you know go go big and if you like it sure I'll come I'm not sure that that. worked because (laughs) (laughs) we keep asking you to do things yeah but it was also I remember the night before like polishing that keynote I was also the opening speaker on day one so like the pressure was was real but um I remember putting that note in there for myself of comfort, of like, you're going to be nervous. And when this is up on the screen, people will be like, ooh, this person's gross. And then that will, I'll be like, yep, okay, let's go. Like anything I say from here on out will be better than having that up on the screen. So, yeah, I remember that um, when Mark Galbraith from now spoke at the first one. And I still referenced that one too, because he really talked about the stance now had on um, unfuck the world, you know, and what it was built on and the audacity of saying that. And that was an early time for me of, of realizing these things were okay. And also that, you know, swearing. So that's what I want to talk about a little (laughs) bit is swearing. Oh shit. (laughs) Um, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about that, you know, the, the Mark Manson book of uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And, you know, he talks about that that piece, like that having fuck in the title suddenly just makes it do that much better, 10 times better, something like that. So he's done it twice. And there's something about that that doesn't seem to put people off in a bad way. What do you think? I mean, what do you think that is? And have you personally chosen to incorporate more swearing into that for whatever reason? I, okay, first part of that, is it off-putting? I think it depends who it's coming from, what the context is, um, what the tone is, um, and why it's being used. When I did the the lectures, right, it's like what the fuck happens after school ends, but, it, you know, I'm from Montreal, so I spelt it P-H-O-Q-U-E, which is French for seal, and then I followed it up with a picture of a baby seal of, like, please forgive me when I get, when I get, like, excited and stuff. It's... For me, it just kind of slips out and it's not meant ever in in like a negative, like not using it in a negative way, I think, anyway. And I do know that like when you talked about my shtick, you know, people see me and my stature and when stuff like that comes out, they're like, whoa, that's you know yeah. the opposite of what you expect. But no, it's just when I get like really fucking excited, you know, it's better. I don't know. It expresses it better than just, I'm really excited. 
It's like you're you're creating a platform of of well, a disclaimer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a disclaimer of this is who I am. This is what's coming. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know because so, I'm going to be me. Baby seal, diarrhea, whatever it takes. <laughs> Whatever the audience is. But always with an awareness yeah. you know, of, of who you're talking to and, mm-hmm. you know, their, their feelings mm. about. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing because it's an awareness of people's, um, how people might take something, but you're not censoring yourself yeah. in doing so, you know, so a respectful, you know? I, I wonder, I think there might be like an element of, comedy to it as well because you're you're reminding me I remember uh, this was at BBMG the first kind of client project that I worked on um the client seemed having not met them yet I was like "Ooh, they seem like a little serious or like stuffy is not the right word they just seem like very serious you know professional people and went into that first presentation and I was like these people don't know me yet so I brought a jar slammed it down in the middle of the table had a sticker ready to go slapped it on it said reverse swear jar pulled out 51 dollar bills shoved it in the jar and I was like just want to let all of you people know that we're going to have a fucking great time the work is the shit and (laughs) I want to make sure Everyone, I, you know, I want you to be loose, be free. We're in a small space, you know, whatever. And uh, everyone except one person who is about to retire was kind of like, what's going on? But everyone else, you know, again, it just made the meeting more exciting and it made it like fun and a little bit silly, but, you know, serious. We were looking at important work, but um yeah, that went over well. And again, as my first interaction with them, I was like, if I, I got to show up as myself, because if not, um, I'm not showing up at 11. So yeah, I did that. And they, they respected it. Like people will either hate it or be like, yeah, that was fucking cool. And take the dollar. And I told them, by the way, you're paying for this. We're like, this is an out-of-pocket, <laughs> out-of-pocket expense. <laughs> so being clear and upfront. Oh yeah. 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 So you better swear cuz this is your money. <laughs> well, when when you talk about coming to, you know, to that like well I have to be myself. How does an idea this this sounds ridiculous cuz it's um how does an idea like that come to you? Like, you know, I don't even know how to change the question to be different than that. How does that come to you? How do you think of that when you're in that kind of place of, because uh, it, it feels like an icebreaker, you know, and a way to help relieve your own nervousness. Um, for myself, I know like, oh, I wanna, that that's not how I end up trying to control a situation when I'm nervous. Um, it's very different. <laughs> It's not that. So I get very curious, like, well, how does that come up? How does that come to you to do that? I just thought it'd be funny. That that might be the comedy element to it. I don't know. Of just, like, absurdity or I feel like the reverse swear jar, I was, I thought was funny. And 
I was like, 50% chance this goes good, 50% chance it doesn't, but I'll remember it. And I think it's funny. And if that's it, I don't know. I was going to say, like, if it doesn't go bad, I mean, if it doesn't go well, if it goes bad, yeah. what, what do you get from that? I mean, because you don't seem to be um, terribly worried about it going bad. Because it won't change how funny it was. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. I love that piece. And it also gets people physically doing something mm-hmm. because you're also dealing with a very charged thing of money. Some people, oh, the swear jar, put money in, you're losing something. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, if you swear, you're gaining something. Yeah. Well, because there's also a piece of, um, that's why I brought up the, uh, you know, the idea of the intelligence because there's so much more um, printed out there now about people who swear more are uh, you know often more intelligent i don't know oh, I, I don't know if you've read any of those i know a lot of people who are pretty dumb that swear all right the time. right right <laughs> but it's about the ability to use it like the context it's not so much that if you swear a lot you're really smart but but um how to use it when to use it when is the appropriate time to use it i don't really know but and if it's true to your to your personality, I guess. I don't know. I, you know, I wonder if part of this is influenced from, you know, my time at JDK where, you know, there wasn't often very many female designers there and, you know, having to be a little bit tough to keep up with the guys. And I don't know, maybe a little yeah. bit of that. You have been listening to Unstructured the podcast from Structure Society. If you enjoyed this episode, please download, share, like, subscribe, and add your thoughts and suggestions in the comments. Also, please consider a Substack paid subscription to help us bring even more meaningful content and connection points to you and our creator community. Here, you'll find articles and news, as well as the podcast and additional content. We cannot grow without you. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.